Tracy. We're going to be uh, starting up in Luke chapter 19, so if you want to uh, get your Bibles to that place. Um, I want to give a little bit of background on what exactly is going on, because we have Jesus, you know, he, you know he's coming, he, you know, he's teaching his disciples, he's teaching people, and then he comes up to um, the Mount of Olives, and then he sends his uh, disciples to go get a donkey and bring it back to him, and then he enters in, you know, and, you know we've all seen like the, the Jesus movies and things like that, where he's coming down the hill, and everybody's singing Hosanna, and the whole bit, and then he goes in there, and then he like, he roughs up the temple, and the whole bit, and everybody's like, oh, what's going on, it's kind of interesting, there's a backdrop to this that brings the whole story of what's going on here into context. And it's absolutely necessary to understand what's happening here for you to get what exactly is going on, why these people were, were waving the palm branches and throwing them at his feet, why they were throwing their clothes on the road as he's walking by, why they're crying, Hosanna and glory to God in the highest. And it actually begins some like 2,000 years earlier with an event in Exodus when Moses led the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And so there they were. There in Egypt, they were slaves for like 400 years. And then God says, I have heard the cries of my people. And by this time, the sins of the Amalekites had reached their uh, peak. So he says, okay, now it's time to bring my people out and then send them into uh, the promised land that, uh, that I may have righteousness uh, in the land and... So he goes and he sends uh, his prophet Moses to the people and he says, okay, go in my name and these plagues are going to come with you. These are the signs. These are the things that I'm going to use to break the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh. These are the things that I'm going to do to show you that I am fighting on your behalf, that you may know that your God is mighty and he is higher and he is stronger than the gods of Egypt and the gods of this world. And so he came and Moses came and he started throwing down plague number one, plague number two, plague number three. And the Pharaoh's like, oh, what do you got? What do you got? And the, and the, 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 the magicians were like, oh, it's nothing. We can do that too. Look, look, look. And all of a sudden the Lord's like, all right, let's step it up a notch. And all of a sudden the magicians are like, oh, we can't do that. And then, you know, and then God literally even struck the magicians with the boils and all that kind of stuff. And he just began like just plague after plague after plague. And it just it kept increasing and increasing and increasing where the magicians were finally saying like, Pharaoh, come just let them go. You know, let these guys go because they're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us all. And so finally, Pharaoh's still refusing. And, and he kind of wavered a few times where he was like, hey, yes, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. And he's like, no, I changed my mind. Get back here. No, no, you can't go. You can't go. And finally, God says, okay, the, one, the final plague is going to come. The death of the firstborn. And every firstborn child in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen will be struck and it's animals and children. And you go, whoa, that would include the Jews. And God says, but for those of you, I'm going to give you a way out. He says, I want you to take a year old lamb. And I want you to take that lamb and you will sacrifice that lamb. You will kill that lamb. And that lamb is symbolic. It is taking the wrath that is coming upon the land of Egypt. And that lamb is going to take the punishment for you. And you take that, the blood of that lamb and you put it upon the doorposts and the lintels of your house. And then when the death angel comes to strike with this final plague, when it sees the blood of that lamb, they'll say that lamb took your place. And it will, the death angel will pass over uh, your house and it will not enter. The plague will not enter your house. And it's like, oh, wow, that's pretty crazy. There was a couple parts that were important in this feast. God said, okay, you will have a lamb. And it is like the centerpiece of it. Without the lamb, there is no Passover. Then there's also bitter herbs, which they would dip 
uh, in salt water and eat those. And then the last part of it was the matzah bread, the unleavened bread. And it speaks of purity. And in that, in that day, God said, okay, I want you to do this because uh, the lamb is taking your place, this, the, the replacement, the substitute sacrifice, the bitter herbs because of the time that you spent in Egypt and the purity of the matzah bread, the purity of the sacrifice. But those things began to take a different meaning as they, you know, they continue, they hold their same meaning, but then they also bring into focus something that is coming. Because every feast of the Lord has a prophetic meaning and a prophetic fulfillment. And the Passover feast was the, was the feast of the Lord that was going to symbolize and represent the sacrifice of the Messiah, the substitute death of the Messiah for his people. And so the people were to do that. And as through the years, as they celebrated the Passover, you know, they had all those things. But then they started adding things to it. They started having, you know, like these cups. You know, they had a meal that were going on to it. You know, God only specified that you had to have the matzah, you had to have the lamb, and you had to have the bitter herbs. That was, that was the three requirements for the Passover. But then as they continued on, they began to sing the Hillel Psalms and things like that. And they had like a meal that went with it. And they had all, all these symbolisms. And by the time we get to Jesus Day, there was actually this huge, uh, you can actually look at it today, you can buy a Haggadah, which I'm actually uh, kind of praying about maybe doing uh, an actual Passover, like a Seder uh, next year uh, when we're not planting a church. And I, I just think it'd be cool because the symbolism and the meaning of it, so you can actually see this is what Jesus was doing. This is when he said this. This is when he did that. You know, th there were things like washing of your hands, you know, symbolically. And, you know, at that time, at that moment in the feast is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You know, so he took it and he kind of changed it slightly. And then when he came to the third cup, the cup of redemption, that was part of that Passover Seder, that's when he actually did the cup of the new covenant. That's when he said, this is my blood poured out for you. You know, and like, you don't really understand that when he says, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. That wasn't the third cup that he had just drank. It wasn't the... the cup of redemption that was actually the cup of acceptance it's the fourth cup in the passover meal that would symbolize when his people would actually receive him and accept him as messiah and see all of these things come into context when you understand the the background of the passover and so here you have this passover and one of the the things that came into uh, being through the through the centuries as they um, came out of egypt and all that as they came into the promised land is that they would sit there and they'd go and god said okay this is what i want you to do on the 14th of Nisan is when you are going to sacrifice the Passover lamb. That is Passover. But on the 10th of Nisan, I want you to take a lamb out of your flock. And I want you to bring it into your home. And I want you to feed it at your table. I want it to sleep in bed with you. I want it to be like a family pet. And so for four days, this lamb is going to be in your home. And you're going to be inspecting it. And you're going to be making sure you're going to be taking care of it. Making sure that it is flawless. Not one defect in it. And what happens when you have a pet in the house, sleeping in your bed with your kids and with you? Because remember in these days, like the whole family would sleep in one bed. You know, they're all just, they'd get all hunkered down because they didn't have heating and air conditioning and things like that, right? You know, Jared and Jose would be out of business. Like it would just be like, you know, they, so they had to keep their, themselves warm with their family. And so the lamb would literally come in and become like a pet to them. Imagine telling like the young kids, think of like Josiah and Luke and Chloe and all these, you know, like the little kids in the nursery. Oh, look at the little lamby. They, they start naming it immediately. I mean, you bring an animal into the house, what do they do? The kids automatically name it. They start, you know, playing with it. They start tying like little bonnets on it and things like that. And it becomes part of the family. And so, you know, this, this lamb would become part of the family. And then, then they would take this lamb and as a family, they would go. 
And the father would lay his hand upon the lamb's head and confess his sins upon the lamb. And then the, the priest would come and he would slit the throat of the lamb. And all of its blood would pour out. And it would mean something to that family because this, this lamb had become not just a lamb, but their lamb. It wasn't just some farm animal. Now it became like a pet. It became a member of the family. And it would show them the cost of the sacrifice to wipe away their sins. And so that's the background. That's what happened year after year, year after year, as these Passovers were being celebrated. That was the context. That was the background. And then, you know, they, they were waiting. They were waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting for um, something to happen. They wanted to be delivered. They were under the bondage of Rome. And they were, they were like longing for it. And we're coming up on the Passover holiday now. And Jesus is coming towards Jerusalem. And there's an excitement building. There's an excitement building. There's an energy and people are feeling it. And the the Pharisees, they're scared of it and they're angry and they're jealous and they don't like Jesus, but the people are getting stirred. And so Jesus is coming towards the, the city of Jerusalem now and he's marching on his way. And there's several uh, prophecies of scripture that are about to be fulfilled. And it's in that context that we, we enter into Luke chapter 19 and we're going to start at verse 28 and We'll see how the Lord draws this out. Watch this. Verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and to Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied and on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for, the almighty, for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher or Rabbi, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. He said, If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Wow, exactly. So Jesus is coming. The Passover is here. They're coming to the temple now. Passover, the preparation has already come. People are bringing their lambs into their families. They're bringing them in and they're, they're beginning to like inspect their lambs and they're, and they're watching them and they're, and they're making sure there's no flaw in them. They're becoming part of the family. They're feeding it from the table. The kids are riding on their backs. The kids are, well, 
Maybe the small ones. Lambs aren't that strong. But, you know, they try. My kids would definitely try. I can guarantee that. And, you know, they're putting the bonnets on it and they're playing with these little lambs and, they, and they're, they're just like taking them and they're part of the family now. And what was the sim- Why did God do this? Okay, number one, yes, God did this in order to make the people realize the costly nature of forgiveness. Right? Because God is a righteous God. Remember, we, we talked about Melchizedek. The, he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. It's not just, oh, he's a fluffy, soft God who loves everything and butterflies and tulips in the, in the fields and everything. And it doesn't matter if you sin. It doesn't matter if all these things. It doesn't matter because he loves you. No. That's not the Bible's message at all. The Bible's message is that God is a holy God, a righteous God, but a God of infinite peace and grace. And so there is a balance there. God hates wickedness. He hates sin. But he did make a way for us to get out from underneath the curse. And that is the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came. You know, in, on, on, when we celebrate Christmas and, you know, we, we have the, the angels come and you have, you know, Mary and Joseph and all that. Jesus came and he dwelt among the people like that Passover lamb coming into the family, right? They, they would come. Jesus came to this earth and he walked among us that we may know him, that we may play with him, right? How many kids did Jesus play with in his lifetime here? <laughs> Right? How many people did he have conversations with, relationships with? How many people did he talk to and minister to and encourage? Right? He, was, he became a man that we may recognize him and know him and know who he is, that he is the express image. He is the very image of God, the Father. He came to this earth and he was known. But then another thing began to happen. The priests had to, before they would sacrifice any lamb, the priests would have to inspect the lamb as well. So you bring it into the family. The family sees, oh, yes, looking at this lamb, and it would become part of the family. But then they would take this lamb, and they would take it to the priests. And the priests would have to inspect it, and they'd have to look at it. And if they, flaw, if they found any flaw, any defect in the lamb whatsoever, they would reject it. And say, you cannot offer this unto the Lord. It has to be without blemish. Only a perfect offering can go before the Lord. That's where we see in Jesus' day the hypocrisy and uh, where, where the priests began to twist that. And they had their own special lambs that were already you know, checked off by the rabbis saying that they were uh, completely without blemish. And if somebody would bring a lamb that was completely spotless, they oh, no, that, that ear, the way it's bent like that, that's a blemish. You, got, you, you can't do it. But we have one of these lambs at three times the cost. You can take one of ours. And so that's why people really began to, they hated coming before the Lord. You know, the, those priests caused the people to blaspheme the Lord, to, to, to profane the Passover. But there's something symbolic there too, because now Jesus is coming, you know, and the, the, the priests, they've been asking him, are you the Messiah? Just tell us, are you the Messiah? And he kept doing the things that the Messiah was called to do. He kept fulfilling the prophecies, you know, the prophecies, you know, the deaf would hear, the mute would speak, the lame would walk. And... Here's the big thing, is that he raised the dead. And so the, 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 the Pharisees are kind of like, uh, do we ask him any more questions? And, and they're kind of like trying to figure it out. They're trying to work through it. And Jesus was being inspected from the time of the triumphal entry until the time of the cross. Is that period of time when the, when the priests would inspect the lamb and make sure there is no flaw. And notice what the scriptures say, that there was no fault found in him 
they had to trump up charges against them. And even their trumped up charges uh, couldn't be sustained. And then when he stands before Pilate, Pilate says, I could, there's no fault in this man. All right, I wash my hands of this. And so, number one, the people saw him. Jesus lived with us. You know, God with us. Emmanuel, he was here. And then he stood before the priest. And he's like, have at it. If there is any flaw in me whatsoever, say it plainly. And they couldn't. They had to make it up. Right? So there he stood, the Passover lamb. Uh, you go backwards a little bit to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And there he is, John the Baptist, right? He's, do, he's baptizing, right? There he is. He, he's doing his thing. And also Jesus walks up and he says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. Here is the Passover lamb who has dwelt among us. There he is. And then the people saw him, they walked with him, they ate with him, they shared with him. And then he stands on this day and saying, I am the Messiah. Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And so there he was, and now it's the priest's turn to inspect Jesus. And, and they start watching him, and what does he do? He comes down, and, and they're supposed to be inspecting him for a flaw, but what does he do? He goes downstairs and says... Yeah, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. And he starts judging them. And he starts inspecting them and he finds them lacking. And so he tips over the tables and throws them down. Right? And they get really mad at him. That's the second time he's done it, actually. And so I want to back up now for a moment. Jesus said he sent his disciples into a village to get a donkey, to get a colt. And you think, so what is the deal with the colt? You know, why you know, this foal of a donkey, this young donkey that nobody's ever ridden on? Why? What's the purpose of that? Well, it, it actually is an important part because it's part of the way that God had shown his people that they would be able to recognize the Messiah. Right? It was a prophetic word in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And this is what it says. Let me just read it to you. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? This was written in Zechariah's time. This is written uh, hundreds of years before. And it was something that God's like, okay, I'm narrowing the thing. I'm narrowing the field so you'll be able to recognize him. He's going to be doing all of these works. All these miracles are going to follow him. You know, he's going to be born in this place. He's going to do this. He's going to be a son of this person. He's going to do this. And, and, he's, and God just keeps narrowing the gate, narrowing the gate, narrowing the gate so people couldn't miss him. He was doing it so people would recognize their Messiah when he came. And so Jesus, this is one of the things, like some of the things, you know, Jesus can control where he was born as a man. Now, granted, he's God, so it's a little, you know, the things kind of differ there, but okay, nobody could say, oh, well, he made that happen about being, you know, of the you know, tribe of Judah, of being a son of David, uh, but missing the curse of Jeconiah and all of that. No, you know, he couldn't control those things as a man, but this is one thing where we actually see Jesus intentionally fulfilling a prophecy where he had literally set it up. Because there's a password in everything. He says, hey, when you, start, when you go into this town, in this certain place, you'll find a donkey there. And unloose it and bring it here. And he says, if the people say, hey, what are you doing taking our donkey? What are you doing taking my donkey? He says, say this to them. The Lord has need of it. And they'll release it to you. 
So he, he actually had this thing set up. He knew the day. He knew the hour. His time had come. Remember he told Mary, you know, what have I had to do with uh, you, you know, woman? You know, my, time, my hour is not yet here. Now is his hour. Now is his time. And so now he goes and he sends word. He goes, okay, bring the donkey. It's time. And this donkey who was literally bred for this purpose, it was created to carry the Messiah. That was this, the, the intention of this donkey's life is to carry the Messiah into Jerusalem. And so there he is. He comes and you know, rejoice, daughter of Zion. Shout, you people of God, because your king is coming. And he is not a king coming like to destroy you and to beat you down, but he comes in peace, lowly. Not riding on a, on a war horse, but on a donkey, a symbol of peace. Right? And a young donkey at that. And so he comes because the word of the Lord must be fulfilled. Do you guys believe that? The word of the Lord must be fulfilled. Because otherwise, if one jot or one tittle from the law fails, that means God is a liar. And that means that our whole hope and salvation, that means everything that we believe, everything we know, fails. And so this is a prophecy that was absolutely necessary. And Jesus made sure that it was. He made sure that it happened, that it was fulfilled, because he wanted the people to know and to understand that he was the Messiah, that God's word is true. And that, because the people, they had thought that the word of God failed. Because, you know, the, the scripture said that the, the rod would not, uh, that, that means the authority of Israel would not fail until Messiah came. And there was a time when Rome came and they finally just said, ah, you know, we're taking your authority from you. You can't have capital punishment anymore or anything like that. You know, we're taking it from you. And it was in the time when Jesus was a baby growing up. And so literally Pharisees in that day walked the streets weeping, weeping. They had, uh, they were wearing sackcloth and they were throwing dust on their heads and they were crying out saying the word of God has failed. The word of God has failed because the scepter has passed from Judah. They were literally crying out thinking that it, that the word of God had failed. And yet it hadn't because in a manger there was a baby born. The Messiah had come. And now Jesus is fulfilling. When people kept asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? All he would do is point to the works. What is Messiah supposed to do? Right? Even when John the Baptist, when his faith kind of wavered a little bit, he's like, you know, are you it or should we wait for another? He says, tell them this. The lame walk, the deaf see, or the deaf hear, the blind see. You know, he said, tell John that the word of God is being fulfilled. It is absolutely necessary. And you guys, I hope you understand. I hope you know that there are scriptures this day that have not been fulfilled, but they must. Because we can sit there and think, oh, you know what? God's not coming. You know, this whole rapture thing. It's like, yeah, you know, it's been like 2,000 years. I mean, come on, 1,979 to be exact. Right? It's been a long time since Jesus came and those promises were uttered and things like that. But guys, you must know you must know that every scripture, the word of God, must be fulfilled. And so when you look at your Bible, when you read the word of God, you can know this will come to pass. This will happen. And even the smallest detail, like having to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey with great celebration and rejoicing, must be fulfilled. And so he enters in, and a lot of the people were there because... 
when you actually read the Gospel of John, if, if you look at all four accounts of this situation, when he starts coming down, and, and here's the big one, because I've actually walked down that hill. When you're on the Mount of Olives, and you're looking down at, at the Temple Mount, you're looking at Jerusalem. There it is. It's sitting right there. You have the city of the great king. There it is. And when you're standing there, and you begin to, there's this little hill, and you just walk down into what's called the Kidron Valley, which is really, it's just a little bump, really. It just kind of does this. It's really small. But you like walk down, and there it is, and you see Jerusalem. That's like, there's the city. There's the city where God said, I will have my name dwell in this place. This is my city. And so there it was, and you know, he comes walking down, and I mean, think, think about what Jerusalem is to the Jewish people. It's everything. It's everything. It's the city of the great king. It's the city where it's the place before the city was even made that Jacob had the dream. Remember the, the stairway to heaven, the whole bit where the angels are ascending and descending upon it? Later, Jesus made mention that he was that ladder, right? The angels in the, were ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Right? This is the place where Abram would take uh, Isaac and take him up there to do the sacrifice when God said, no, 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 don't do it. I believe you. Well done. Let me give you. Here's a ram in the thicket. Just sacrifice this. But on, in this mountain it shall be seen where a father will sacrifice his son. And that was Jesus Christ. This is that same place. This is where King David, the king of kings, the sweet psalmist of Israel, this is where he came. And this is, this, it became known as the city of David, where he built his palace. I've been in the palace of David. They're excavating it right now. And you know, I've actually walked in it. And there it is. And this is that city where the Ark of the Covenant came and dwelt and the presence of God dwelt. This is where the temple was made by Solomon. This is the city of God. And so when the Messiah, and these people believed it, they, 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 they were like, okay, you know, there is still room. You know, he hasn't actually declared himself, I am the Messiah, but he's doing everything the Messiah was, gonna, was called to do. And when he comes to the top, to the pinnacle of the Mount of Olives, and he starts walking down, dude, these people, they, they just got unhinged. And they were excited, and they started throwing the palm branches, and they started crying out, Hosanna. And I, I want to give you, because it wasn't just, they weren't just saying one thing and just repeating it over and over and over and over again. It was actually, as you read all four accounts of this moment in time, they, there was actually like chance. If you guys have ever been to like a baseball game or a football game, and it's like, you know, one side starts yelling, and the other starts yelling back, and in reply, and they start going back and forth, and they start having a battle, right? Right, they start doing that. I kind of think that's kind of what was going on here because you actually had uh, like four different statements and they were very similar, but there's little differences and stuff like that. And I want to read you all four of them just so you can understand the excitement, the building, how there was just like electricity in the air. And it starts with Hosanna with an exclamation point, right? Hosanna, which means save now. That is the hope and the expectation of this people. You know, they, they're waiting for their Messiah. They've been waiting for him since Moses declared that he would come. They're longing for him. And so they see Jesus. He's coming down the Mount of Olives, heading towards Jerusalem of all places. And they start crying out, Hosanna, save now, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then another group of people would cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And still another group of people crescendoing each time says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
And then finally, as they are walking down, approaching Jerusalem, the people are shouting, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They're declaring him the king. It's exciting, isn't it? These people, when they, when, they, when they see the Messiah walking down, they see him coming towards Jerusalem, the city of the king, right? And here they come, and they just start crying out, and the people are going nuts. The kid, you know, They have little kids waving palm branches and everything. And if you guys have ever been to more like a liturgical uh, Palm Sunday service, they literally have like kids like walking down the aisles with palm branches and like shaking them, crying out Hosanna and things like that. It's really pretty fun, actually. And... You know, that's what was going on. And like people are literally throwing their clothes down for this donkey to walk upon because the donkey is bearing the Messiah, the King of Israel. And that's what they're declaring. And there is a great excitement. There's a great energy going on. And, you know, all of this is being backed up. Remember, Lazarus was just raised from the dead. And people didn't like Lazarus because people, a lot of people started believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. Like here's a guy who was dead for four days. Like, he was already supposed to be, like, stinking inside the grave. Like, Lord, don't open the door because he stinks. I like King James. But, Lord, he stinketh. Right? It's like, don't open that. Don't, Lord, no. Bad. Bad news. And, you know, but there he was. And, you know, he's, like, walking around with him now. And the Pharisees were even had a plot to kill Lazarus to get rid of the evidence. Because so many people were believing him. And it says right here in uh, verse 37, it says, And the, the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen. And in John, in this account, it says that because the people you know, saw Lazarus. And because they saw Lazarus walking and breathing, it's like, dude, is the Messiah going to do greater works than these? No way. No way. And so they're excited. And they're just like crying out. And... Uh, <laughs> My mom has a dog named Sadie, and we were uh, babysitting it uh, yesterday, and we tied it up in the backyard, and we went to Costco, and we came back, and it was hilarious. I, I went back there, and just to, to let her off of the leash, and I was just, and she was like, just, and she was just like jittering, and she's like running back and forth, back and forth, because she was so excited to see me. She, we'd been gone for an hour. <laughs> Okay, we're gone for an hour, and she literally, she's just like, <laughs> and her, her back legs are shaking and everything. Like, like she couldn't stand straight because her legs are, like, kind of giving out from her because she was so excited. And she, she was, like, literally, like, whimpering. She's crying because she was so excited to see me. And she's not even my dog, right? But she was so excited to see me. And, like, as I was thinking about this and these people, I could just imagine, like, this is a dog who had been left alone for an hour. These are a people who had been waiting for the Messiah their whole lives, they had been waiting for their Messiah their whole lives. And now they're saying, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Right? They're crying out. Can you imagine the excitement in the air at that moment? Their legs are probably shaking. Their voices are probably giving out because they're screaming so loud. You know, the kids are praising and just having a good time. They're probably dancing. They probably have their, their tambourines going and everything. You're just rejoicing. They're rejoicing. And the question that, that I was kind of faced with and the question that I want to ask you guys this morning is, they were excited, but are you? And I sat there and I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, how excited am I? Because like, I'm sure like when I think about it, I kind of go like, oh gosh, it would be so cool for the Lord to come back. Yeah, that would be awesome. But I certainly don't. 
like this and get home. Like, like my legs don't start giving out when I start thinking about it and excited. like, <gasps> you know, probably the closest moment to it. And this is an embarrassing moment that I've shared before, but we were at a, a sunrise uh, service uh, at, for, at the Verizon Amphitheater, Calvary Coast and Mason, the whole bit. And we were sitting up towards the back and you know, the music was playing and things like that. It was kind of going. And then behind me, I started hearing like trumpets. I started hearing trumpets going off. And for, it was probably about one and a half seconds. For like one and a half seconds, the reality of like, oh, it's the rapture. He's coming. And I was like, my heart started like beating really fast and I got really excited. And then all of a sudden I realized it was more of like a polka beat. Boom, boom, boom. And it was like, oh, it's the gardener and it's Mexican music in the truck that he's driving behind us. And I was like really kind of embarrassed for a moment. But for, for one and a half seconds, for one and a half seconds, I identified with Sadie, where it's like, and it's like, I was just excited. But you know, when I realized that it was the gardener, and it was oomph pop music going off, and it was the trumpets on that, and then, then, then my, my excitement kind of diminished, and the rest of the, the sunrise service was kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, that's great. It wasn't as exciting as that. I mean, that was exciting. But... You know, there, there was a moment that these people were waiting for. There was a moment where these people were longing. And a lot of them, you know, the question was still in their mind, is he the Messiah? You know, even the disciples were like, you know, Lord, are you going to establish the kingdom now? And Jesus was like, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. But they were like, they were hoping, man. They're just like, they're like, you know, dogs chomping at, you know, horses chomping at the bit, ready to go. You know, they're like a dog when they sees like a great big bone. If you've ever been to the Stratton's house, they have, they have a dog that's this big and a bone that's this big, right? And it's just like, can you just imagine? Like, oh! It's like, yes. And, you know, these people are excited. And I just need to ask this morning, are we excited about our faith? Are we excited that we are in Christ? We are in the beloved do we realize that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Ephesians chapter 1. Do we realize that we have been given the right to be called sons of God? Do we realize that like in Hebrews chapter 7, I believe it is, that God is not ashamed to be called our God because we believe? Do we realize these things? Do we live in, this, in that mindset? Do we understand? Because if we don't understand, then it's like, okay, well, you know, that's understandable, but please let me share with you. If you have questions, let me explain them to you. But like, these are exciting things. If you do understand and you're still not excited, then that's a tragedy. And that's an offense to the Lord, I think. Jesus said in Revelation, he says, because you were lukewarm, therefore I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And you go like, whoa, that's some strong language. But you know what? Guys, these people thought he was Messiah. These people who were literally throwing down palm branches, these people who were crying out, and they didn't care. Do you think they were embarrassed on the people like, you know, that were around them going like, he's not the Messiah? Do you think they were upset that the Pharisees were going, Rabbi, rebuke your, your people? No, they were just crying out, you know, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to the son of David. They're rejoicing. They didn't care what other people thought. They were just rejoicing. And yet we, we know he's Messiah. They thought he was Messiah and they are willing to be completely undignified and just give glory to him and all honor and all praise. And yet we know and we kind of live like Maybe he'll come. 
Maybe he won't. You know, maybe, maybe the rapture will happen in my lifetime. I'm praying before dating. That's all I got to say. But <laughs> let the reader understand, right? You know, four daughters, yeah. And so, you know, we know he's Messiah. Do you, do I, and this is the question that I was asking myself this week. Am I living like I know he's Messiah? Am I living like I know he's Messiah? Because if I know he's Messiah, Paul said that those who have faith, those who are looking forward to his second coming, those who look forward to his rapture purify themselves. Right? Be holy for I am holy. Walk in the light as he is in the light. What, what fellowship does light have with darkness? All of these things. Right? And it's like, am I living like I know he's Messiah? Because you know, I know in whom I believe. I can say that. And it's like, you know what? I think my life grieves the Lord because I'm not living every day like this. And this isn't something that you have to manufacture. Like, okay, today I'm going to be excited. You know, I'm going to bring a tambourine with me everywhere I go. So I can praise the Lord and like shake it and keep going. But it's like, guys, if you really understand, if I really understand what the scriptures say and what they declare, then Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save now. Even so, uh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Save now. Take me home. And when I'm longing, it's like, come on. I mean, think about it. Those of you who've ever been to a wedding, what does the bride do? Dresses up in her best, right? You know, uh, <laughs> Vanessa, you know, her, the, the, she's going to a, to a wedding today. And the bride wanted her there at 9 a.m. for a 4 p.m. wedding. 9 a.m., for a 4 p.m. wedding so they could have their hair done and their makeup done because what did she want? She wanted no uh, surprises of people showing up late or things like that. She wanted to be able to rest and relax. She wanted to make sure all of her bridesmaids were perfect. Okay, guys, listen to me. The marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. The groom is coming and there will be a day when there is a do-do-do-do and there is a shout from the, from the archangel and the Lord will say, come up here and you will be in the presence of your groom. Will you be ready? Will you have spent from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. making sure that you're primed and prepped and ready to go and the Lord's not considered with the outward but the inward? Right? Are you ready to stand before your God and to look into his eyes and uh, hear him say, and with rejoicing and not sadness, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Guys, we have to. If we know, if we know, and I'm pretty sure all of us know, huh? Do we know? We know. He is Messiah. We know who we are. And therefore, and there's that word, therefore, yeah, you see it all the time in scriptures. Therefore, when you know this, therefore, here is the act. Here is the response. And we know Jesus is the Messiah. We know, you'll know, behold, O Zion, O daughter of Zion, your king is coming with salvation in his hand. We know. Because you know what? We already, we've already been around the block a few times. We know he rises. We know the promises of God are yes and amen. We know that it is true. Therefore, and guys, that's where each one of us, each one of us has to address the therefore in our lives. 
I know this is my life. This is who I am. Therefore. And you have to fill in the blank. Therefore, what are you going to do about it? Therefore, how are you going to live your life? Therefore, how are you going to talk? How are you going to act? How are you going to live in front of the world? Are you going to sing Hosanna? Or are you going to carouse with the people? Are you going to be like them? Are you going to hide your light under a basket? Or are you going to cry Hosanna? In those days, the outer coat was a symbol of authority. Remember uh, David, Saul was, was chasing after him and David cut the hem of his garment. And then David later, he, he got up and, he, and he, his, his, little, his conscience convicted him because he cut the hem of the garment of the anointed of the Lord. And David was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. Why? Because the garment, the outer garment, it represented that person's authority. It represented their honor, who they were, their power. It represented who they were. And what were these people doing? They were taking off their outer garment and they were throwing it in the dirt. Because when you stand before the Messiah, guess what? My authority, my strength, my pride is nothing. Throw it in the dirt. Hosanna in the highest. Praise to the king. We know Jesus is Messiah. Therefore. Therefore. We can't live like we did before, and we cannot live like the world any longer. Time is short. Time is short, therefore. Then, and I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this. Have you ever been like truly just like on a cloud nine with the Lord, and you're just like rejoicing, and it's like everything is just like golden and awesome, and then you're praising the Lord, and then inevitably somebody comes and just like, and they just like have like this downer attitude and they just like it's like they're just spreading poison on you have you ever had that okay here's this incredible scene right the people they're, they're singing glory in the highest you hosanna you know the king of david you know the son of david awesome you know messianic titles and all that and then some pharisees right these are the people who above anybody else should have recognized jesus authority that he was indeed the messiah and i think they did to a degree Part of them knew. Paul said that they did it in ignorance, and I'm sure that's true. But you know what? They had no accusation against him. They knew he was a righteous and a holy man. They knew he was of God because only by God can, they, can somebody do what he did. And yet there they are, and they should have known. But instead of, being, instead of receiving the Messiah because their deeds were evil and wicked, they were like, and they didn't like it. They didn't like it, not because he said, oh, this and this and this, and you should stop doing that. They didn't like it because he was righteous, and they weren't, and they knew it. And so as he was coming, the, the Pharisees, they cried out, and they said, you know, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? Here they are. They're rejoicing. They're praising the Lord, and they're doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And in one of the Gospels, I think it's John, it said that the disciples didn't realize that they had done all this. They weren't like just sitting there going like, okay, Jesus said, okay, guys, here's the playbook. You know, here's the scriptures. Tomorrow, you're going to get a whole bunch of palm branches, and you're going you're gonna to get this donkey and everything, and you're going to throw it. Like, the guys didn't realize it. Jesus said, hey, go get a donkey for me. And they're like, oh, okay. And they didn't think twice about it. They just walked over and did it. You know, and, and then when the people started crying out, Hosanna, they didn't have like, the, they didn't have like you know, their little scrolls that they like walked out with. And they're like, you know, it's like a choir. It's like, Hosanna chorus. 
They weren't doing that at all. This was just what was in their hearts. This is what they were just crying out. Like they were excited, genuinely excited. They thought, here comes the Messiah. And this is the overflow. This was what was pouring out from them. It wasn't something that was staged. And they were crying out. And these rabbis, the rabbis, see, and that's the thing. It's like these rabbis, these Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew better. They knew Zechariah 9.9. They knew Psalm 118. They knew those messianic psalms. And it's like, Rabbi, no, 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 no. They're calling you Messiah. Stop, stop, rebuke them. And I love Jesus' answer. He says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because all creation groans for the coming of the Messiah. All creation groans for the redemption. Literally, even the rocks. Can you, I mean, even the rocks were trembling like Sadie, the dog. Like, here he comes. Here he comes. And if somebody is as dense as a rock gets it, shouldn't we? Right? But there he is. Like, and he's like, if they be quiet, because I am God. I am the creator. I am the one who fashioned the world. And hold it together with the power of my word. And if it is fitting that as I come into Jerusalem, presenting myself as the promised king, it is fitting that it be surrounded with praises of Hosanna and glory to God in the highest. And if these should be quiet, if the Lord returned on a day when there was no faith, when there was nothing, when the heart of men were unmoved, then even creation itself would cry out. Because it knows its maker. Because it knows. And it would cry out. And so the Pharisees were just like, and I'm sure they were angry, but not near as angry as a few, you know, the next day when he, destroyed, when he you know, knocks over all the temple stuff. But there he was. And then it was after that moment. Can you imagine how grievous that would be for Jesus? Can you imagine how grievous? Like he's coming to save them. And they know the scriptures. These are the keepers of the law. These are the people who know the scriptures and how he's coming for them. And as he's, you know, he's like just, he's showing them. He's not, you know, being nasty or anything to them. You know, he does call them, you know, brood of vipers and things like that because of their attitude, because of their hard heartedness. But it's like, he's showing them. He's proving to them that he is Messiah. And it's like, they just keep asking for more signs. Give me, you know, give me more signs. You know, be, be my little, you know, trick boy. You know, you know, you come at my call. And he's grieved now. And then as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He was so grieved because he knew the scriptures. He knew that this, on this day, he was to be received as the Messiah. On this day, he was supposed to be accepted. And on this day, he was rejected. He was rejected. And so he wept. And he says, if you had known, in verse 42, if you had known, even you especially, in this your day. This is their day. This is Psalm 118, verses 26. I've got it right here. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna. I pray, O Lord, 
O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. And he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. This is their day. This is a day that they had 173,880 days advance notice that this day would come and when it would come. They literally, did you know that? That these people literally had the exact date, right? You, you go into like your iCalendar and things like that. You got your cell phones out and you, like, you, you, know, you, can, you can like put your, um, you know, your, your uh, meetings and things like that, your schedule in your phone on your calendar. Well, God says, okay, I've got a date with you. It's on a specific day. I'll give you that. Here, put it in your calendar. Mark it. And they mark it and they wrote it down. And they had it. He said, on that day, you and I, we're getting together. We're going to meet. We're going to hang out. We'll do lunch. Right? Daniel chapter 9, the, the 70 weeks prophecy. From the decree of uh, Artaxerxes Longimanus on 445 BC. March 16th, 445 BC. He says, when that decree happens to rebuild the temple, and not just the temple, but the walls and the road. That happened in Nehemiah's day, didn't it? Hmm, interesting. Right? When that decree happens, we actually have a cylinder. Um, actually, it's an obelisk, sorry. It's, we have an obelisk in stone, right, written with the decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus on March 16th, 445 BC, declaring for Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the wall. So we know the day, we know the hour, and from that day, he said 69 weeks, basically weeks of years, 483 years from that day, Messiah will come. 173,880 days to the day, Messiah will come. Do you know what that day is? That day is April 6, 32 A.D. April 6, 32 A.D. is the day that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey to the shouts of Hosanna. Exactly 1,773, 880 days. They had a day. The Lord told them when he was coming and they were to know him. They were to recognize him. And even when the demons cried out, we know who you are, you are the son of God. And he would silence them because the people were required by faith to know they had all of the things that the Messiah was to be and to do. And they were responsible to know. And they were responsible to recognize their day, the day of their visitation when God came. And guess what? Guess what? We know our God. We have been given advance notice that he is coming 772,800 and some odd days we got even more time, 1,979 years. They had 483. We've got 1,979 to date. Advanced warning that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And my father's house, there's many mansions. And if it was not so, I would tell you, but I will come back. And then he also gave warning, the son of man, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night to those who are in darkness. But you are not in darkness. Right? We are to be called to be watching and waiting for our Messiah to return. 
And he is returning. And guess what? We don't want to be like them because this is what he said. He wept over them. And I don't want Jesus weeping over me. Not like not these kind of tears because they did not. He said, you didn't even know, especially in this your day. And guess what? There is a day that's coming. There is a day that is on the near horizon where the Messiah will return with the sound of the trumpet, the shout of the archangel, and he'll say, come up here. Are we ready for it? Are we prepared? Are we primped and, and all ready to go from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m.? Are we ready for it? Are we trembling like Sadie the dog or like those rocks waiting for our Messiah to come? Are we crying out Hosanna in the streets? Are we laying down our pride and our authority and throwing it in the dirt and saying, who cares? Is that where we are? Because, guys, Jesus said there's, gonna, there's a lot of people who will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say... Away from you, me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But Lord, we did all these things in your name. He says, I never knew you. Are we ready? Do we know? Therefore, we don't want to miss our date with the Lord. Because it is coming. And it is coming quickly. And he says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And Paul agreed with this later and said that, you know, blindness in part has come upon the Jews. Right? He says, he goes, your eyes are blinded to it. And in the, uh, in the New Testament in Revelation, it talks about that a strong delusion is going to be coming for those who are left behind. So even those who would believe but refuse to receive the Messiah in their time, on their day, a strong delusion will come that they won't recognize the truth and they will embrace the Antichrist. Yeah. And so guys, we don't want to be blinded to the Lord, to the things of the Lord. We don't want the things of this world and friendship with this world to bring us down and cause us to say, because what was it that, that made the Pharisees so upset? Jesus was taking their disciples. People were going to him and believing him. He became the rabbi of the day, and they didn't like it because they liked all the greetings and things like that. And when Jesus had the audacity to give them constructive criticism, they got angry. How dare you say that of me? Don't you know who I am? I'm Rabbi so-and-so. Everybody knows I'm righteous. Look how big my hat is. You laugh, but that's true. If you go to Israel today, you'll see guys with really big hats. <laughs> and the bigger the hat, the more righteous they are. Or they'll, they'll also have like little things around their um, like little tassels and things like that. And the people with the biggest tassels, they're the most righteous and they're walking their way. We know. Therefore, our lives cannot be what they were. We know. Our Messiah is coming. We have advance notice. We know he's coming. Are we ready? I want to cry out, Hosanna, don't you? Hosanna. Don't you want to be excited when you hear the Lord coming and not afraid? Can you imagine? I mean, how tragic for, you know, because there's people who grow up in the church who will be like, they'll hear the trumpet and their first response will be fear. And how sad. I want my first response to be like it was that day at that, that you know, Friday or, yeah, Sunday morning, you know, sunrise service. To like cry out and go like, oh, it's time. But you won't be that way unless you answer the question, therefore... Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we give glory to you. Lord, we do shout out Hosanna in the highest. Lord, we know that you are the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of God. Lord, we know that you came lowly riding on a donkey. But Lord, you will not return on that donkey. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, and that you would give us direction, Lord, on what you'd have for the rest of our lives. That in that day when we hear your voice, Lord, we would rejoice and not fear. And that we would hear the sweetest words in all the universe. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Father. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you this day. Amen.